Hey everyone, you're listening to Obscuristan, the podcast where we talk about how fucking weird Eurasia is. And more importantly, how it got that way. We're your hosts. I'm Anna. I'm Karina. And without further ado, let's go to Obscuristan. Hey everybody, today we're talking about the Russians arriving to Armenia in the wake of the Ukraine war. Okay, I just have to say, I'm so, so freaking excited about this episode because it has been months of hearing stories about this stuff and I'm just really excited to be able to talk about it. There's there's so many stories, um, bad ones, good ones, we'll, we'll talk about it all. So in the days Russia launched the invasion of Ukraine, in February of this year, many Russians began emigrating from the country. In just two months, hundreds of thousands of Russians were estimated to have moved abroad. It's the largest exodus since the October 1917 revolution. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, wait, yeah. that's a little bit insane. It's, it's, it is insane. It is. It's, um, and that's sourced in Deutsche Welle. Yeah, and, the, you know, there's different kinds of Russians that have come. Some, some have left for, um, Political reasons, they were dissidents. Others were economic migrants, you know, business people getting away from sanctions. Mm -hmm. And still others were just afraid they would be sent to the front. Um, and in March of 2022, Putin called these people, quote, traitors and scum mm -hmm. and stated that their departure will, quote, cleanse Russian society. That's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Putin's really nice. What are, you, what are you saying? In October, Putin announced a partial draft, which by the way, among other issues, targeted ethnic minorities disproportionately, yes. caused the second wave of Russians emigrating abroad. So we've had two so far, at least in Armenia. And I talk about Armenia because I live in Armenia, Anna is from Armenia, and Armenia has been one of the most favorite destinations for fleeing Russians, partly because there's no visa required, people here speak Russian generally, and because lots of things will just be familiar to them on other levels. Armenia has also worked to create favorable conditions for IT businesses, which have been you know, mm -hmm. moving uh, Russian businesses um, to Armenia and bringing a lot of Russian tech professionals to the country. So today we're going to talk about you know, the good and bad of that from our perspective as Armenians, as people from the South Caucasus, whose lives are very much affected by Russia. Wasn't Istanbul also like a pretty popular destination for a lot of Russians? Yeah. So, so there's some good aspects to, to the Russians arriving. Um, some of the emigres have noted how much freer they feel in Armenia. Uh, so one anonymous Russian said about living in Armenia, quote, I realized that here I've stopped always calculating what I should say based on who I'm talking to. I feel so much freer, which is great. You know, I love the fact that Armenia can be that democratic oasis in this part of the world. And, you know, Anna, we can talk about, you know, what, what, what a true anomaly that is. You know, Georgia is obviously also democratic, but, you know, it's seen some pretty bad backsliding recently. But someone once made a point to me asking, how far east from Armenia do you have to go before you encounter another democracy? Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to look at it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, as people who um, are, you know, aggressively in support of democratic movements in Armenia, it's really weird for us to hear Armenia described as a democratic oasis, um, just because, like, we're used to 
uh, not like, I don't want to say complaining because that almost trivializes it. We're used to advocating for stronger institutions in Armenia. We're used to advocating for like um, more people power, more devolution of power, um, less reliance on Soviet mechanisms, all these kinds of things. And so um, to like see people arrive in Armenia and see it as a safe haven for them, um, it does inspire a bit of confidence to say, oh, I guess like, you know, like th there have been useful steps taken to like create yeah. some kind of institutional strength. I mean, we know the reality of what that actually is, but um, I don't know. It's kind of nice to hear it. <laughs> and it's even better and more kind of um, significant and important because of the fact that Armenia is a democracy, despite being a former Soviet state, despite yes. being a genocide survivor state, despite having lost a devastating war in 2020 and being under constant threat of more aggression from Azerbaijan. Like, honestly, when I put it that way, you know, it's truly kind of a fucking miracle. <laughs> no, I mean, it is a fucking miracle. Um, I know that when Freedom House, like Freedom House did rankings for Armenia and um, the Republic of Artsakh, something interesting about the rankings from the Republic of Artsakh is that a lot of when they write like what... Um, um, what Freedom House doesn't just say, here's the ranking, go forth. They like, mm -hmm. provide reasoning and um, like yeah. some analysis. And I remember reading that one of the interesting things about the rankings for Artsakh were that the lowered scores were often attributed to um, like the persistent threat of um, military conflict from Azerbaijan. Um, and that really got me thinking about, you know, how, I mean, we saw this during the 2020 war. We saw this this year. Um, war inherently creates democratic backsliding. Like very rarely do countries come out of war <laughs> with a stronger democracy than when they came in. And you're you're seeing it, and you're you're going to see it, you know, develop further in Ukraine, which is another sort of macro casualty of war that's incredibly sad. Um, but yeah, when you put it that way, it is it is kind of a miracle. It's nice. Yeah. I think it's worth protecting. Absolutely. And by the way. Um, it's Kyrgyzstan and India. Those are the, fir the first states, the democratic states that you come across. It's like more than 10,000 kilometers away. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. So part of the, I guess, fallout, you could say, um, are the social tensions that are growing from the sheer number of people arriving to the country all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, and I'm reading about similar tensions in Georgia, where a lot of Russian immigrants have, have arrived. For sure. Yeah. Um, and in Central Asia, uh, in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan um, in particular. So it's, you know, bringing up these broader issues again of our colonial legacy, our identity as, you know, Armenians, Georgians, Kyrgyz and Kazakhs and our general place in the world. Um, and in terms of social t tensions, rental prices is one of the main kind of <laughs> things oh, yeah. that pops up. I mean, it's it's crazy here. I personally know people have had to move after their landlords, in some cases, doubled the rent just like overnight. Oh, my God. I've heard of people moving in with their in-laws because they can't afford rent. Um, in Georgia, rental prices shot up 27% in February. In, in Georgia? In Georgia, compared to uh, February one year prior. Holy shit. The Statistical Committee of Armenia reported an almost 46% surge in the average cost of vegetables that are mostly grown in the country. And that's from inflation, wow. which is in part because of COVID. Um, you know, everyone's kind of dealing with some level of inflation, but the inflation in Armenia and Georgia, especially on, you know, even local mm -hmm. produce, it's, is crazy. Um, and in Armenia, uh, price of bread and beef were up by 20% from just June last year. Wow. So, you know, economic pressure uh, leads to social tension. Um, and then there's, you know, also this Kind of question, I was talking to a friend of mine and on, I'm kind of curious what you're thinking about this, but so obviously a lot of the Russians have left 
Um, but a lot of them have stayed, mm-hmm. a fewer number, but still significant. And I kind of wonder sometimes, like, who who will these people be in, in their new homes? Will they disconnect from Russia kind of gradually or kind of remain connected, kind of forming perhaps like an opposition in exile? Can political immigration play a role in Russian politics kind of, you know, the other way around? Are they going to start, you know, um, maybe participating in the political system in Armenia at some point down the line? I mean, these are all interesting interesting questions. Yeah, I want to talk about um, the inflation and the rent issues for a little bit, just because um, I think that's been sort of the... I don't want to say the biggest topic of conversation because it's that's obviously hard to quantify that, but that has been a very immediate reality for so many people. Like you mentioned, you know people who've moved. Um, I definitely know people who've had to move. Um, I know like Russians who came to Armenia and couldn't afford the rent because it was so expensive. Um, and I also um, cab prices like shot up. So for oh, you know yeah. for people who haven't you know been to um, Armenia which I would venture to guess as many of you, um, there's a, there is like a public transportation system in Yerevan. It's, you know, robustly used, but um, cabs are relatively cheap usually. So they're also used very frequently. So like very, very commonly used are like taxis and they're like local companies and a Russian company that run them. Um, and it used to be um, that getting from the center of Yerevan to like any other part of Yerevan would really run you a max of a thousand drum. Um, which is two dollars and some change. That was like right. max max, yeah. Like it, it, it would it would rarely go over seven hundred. Yeah, because you know the center, you know, you would you you could get to most places, which is like two dollars and some change, I think. Um, and now getting anywhere in Yerevan was always a thousand four hundred drum at minimum, um, mm-hmm. or like a thousand two hundred at minimum. And it was even crazier because I had to go from um, a village out in the northeast of Armenia to Yerevan and getting from there to Yerevan was only about 2000 dram. So no. Yes. So because the Russians are mostly coming and staying in Yerevan, the prices of cabs within like Yerevan has gone insane. But oh. comparatively, it's almost like it's it's cheaper it's it's cheaper or not cheaper but it's really freaking close to travel across mountains from one village into the center of Yerevan than it is to get around Yerevan itself within yeah. the city which is just a little bit of context for people who like those are those kinds of like day-to-day like little things that you pick up on that you really wouldn't notice like they're, they're not really I don't think they're being reported on or quantified because they're small but they they really right. make a difference I really need to buy a car because getting to the gym almost I almost can't afford it honestly wow like on top of everything else that I have to pay. And I'm, I'm, I'm only seeing that this month because it's the first month I've turned the heating on and I know gas is also really expensive in Arnia. So yes. um, I'm like bracing myself for that bill. But there is also a resistance in Armenian government. I feel like to, um, cause we have a pretty neoliberal government um, right now. And yeah. since it's, you know, since it came about in 2018, it was always really neoliberal. Um, and there really is like a resistance to, I mean, definitely labor policies, but with that also any sort of policies that uh, create rent protections um, or really any kind of like anti-gentrification measures. Um, Because Yerevan property prices and housing prices have been skyrocketing for for years now. Um, And this new wave of Russians really just killed it. And it's really interesting because, you know, you're mentioning kind of the the city landscape, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about 
I don't, I don't know how to call it, maybe the, like the social, the broader social benefits of them coming. Just yeah. and, and this is just literally in terms of stuff that I've observed on my own. They're really changing the cultural landscape of the city. There's these new places opening up, right? Um, Halloween, you know, as you might may or may not know, isn't like a big thing in Armenia yet, but um, there's this, I don't know what to call it. It's like this creative space in Yerevan called Duftov, which is mm-hmm. run by Russians, and it's a very Russian space. They had like, you know, I saw their photos from their Halloween party. It looked like a legit, like people wearing actually scary costumes. Um, yeah. Halloween party. And I say that because I've been to a Halloween party and there were just like these, I don't know how to describe them, kukla girls, like, <laughs> you know, women who were just like, you know, wanted to be sexy and they just like had a little mask for their eyes. In fairness, same. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, this is fucking boring. This is, this is, this is dumb. But this um, Halloween party had people with like, you know, aliens coming out of their stomachs, like just, you know, cool shit. Hell yeah. Um, there's a kimchi and hummus place that opened up that's run by Russians. Oh, um, that's kind of funny. And, right. you know, you walk in and they say barabzas in Armenian, like they make an effort to speak Armenian, which, you know, I think is cool. And this kind of stuff is, you know, leaving its sort of indelible mark on Yerevan and Armenian culture, contemporary culture more broadly. And I think part of that is also like how they kind of change the public space. So again, for our listeners who may or may not know, there's a taboo around Armenian women smoking cigarettes in Armenia. Um, and we just had a smoking ban on smoking indoors in March, instated in yeah. March of this year. So before that ban, women used to kind of smoke in the, you know, kind of more bougie cafes in Yerevan. Um, but that was it. Like you would never see Armenian women smoking outside. But because of the ban, Armenian women have to kind of like step outside to have a cigarette, which many people were uncomfortable with, apparently. And like I know of a woman, she's a middle-aged woman who is so uncomfortable doing that, she just won't do it. She won't smoke and she's a smoker. I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> it's I know, I know, right? It's 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 layers. Um, but you know, since the smoking ban, um, you know, and that discomfort around smoking outside, now with the Russians, because so many Russian women smoke, mm-hmm. um, I, I've I've smoked on the street, whereas before I wouldn't do that. And I've noticed other Armenian women smoking on the street. And I mean, maybe they're Armenian from Russia and you know, they're not speaking. I couldn't tell. But I, I, for example, I don't feel self-conscious about smoking in public anymore. I will say there's something so fucking weird and like fucked up about having this conversation just because I feel like we're like pre-mad men. It's like, lady, she smokes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Women, they can smoke cigarettes. Yeah, I I definitely think that um, just visually there's there's a difference in that regard. Um, I do think that like for the most part, Armenian, especially like in Yerevan, social culture was moving in that direction anyway. Um, like there was a pretty like like a very living underground, and it it like it uh, more and more every year. I would see it come out more into the public sphere. What do you mean by that? I think I know what you mean. Like in my mind, I was thinking of Yerevan pubs where young women yeah. smoke all the time. Yeah, I mean, or even just the ability of um, young people to go out and do things that might not be more like, you know, um, associated with like Armenian traditional culture. But I also don't want to overemphasize that because I think that like my parents talk about, you know, like their youth and like what they got up to. And I'm not going to lie, like they like they got out to the same shit that we did and that we do. Right, right. Of course. And so I think that sometimes there's even like a little somewhat of an overemphasis on that. Um, but I will say like even visually, like my mother was commenting that she uh, she saw like she was like, there's, you know, a lot of these women and men dressed really creatively. Um, and that was something that she observed uh, just like, mm-hmm. you know, 
being in Armenia um, over the summer. And that was interesting to hear from her perspective, because for me, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty young. I like exist among, I guess, pretty countercultural people already. So I see a lot of that as it is. But for my mother mm-hmm. to see it and to observe it, I think like marked a little bit of a and shift for sure. Yeah. But there have been mixed reactions, though. I will say like there have been definitely very mixed reactions to that like social change uh, and like even even what that social change has been I think so like some kind of backlash like a more conservative no 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 the opposite I think that like there have been a lot of people to say like okay like let's not get like like we were doing we're doing okay like Russians did not come and bring culture to Armenia right right I see what you're saying yeah so yeah I wanted to talk a little bit about that kind of colonial attitude I guess and maybe some Uh of the pushback against that because like that's one of my favorite topics like period like in the world (laughs) so i'm super podcast about it did we decide to do that um it's it's possible (laughs) it is actually very possible we're thinking about it we're thinking about it (laughs) so one thing again just personal observation when these russians come to armenia i cannot help but notice how comfortable they are (laughs) you know people speak russian armenians are generally pretty warm in general like you know it's so fucking easy yeah. But when we go to Russia, it's like, speak Russian, you fucking churka, you know, like, you know, we will only rent a slobs kind of shit or literal hate crimes. And I resent that, um, which is why, I mean, this is my little personal kind of protest. But when Russians speak to me in Russian, when they approach me and just start speaking to me in Russian, I pretend I don't. <laughs> nice. Only English or Armenian, uh, unless they ask first if I speak Russian, because, you know, humility, I think, deserves respect. And I'll yeah. speak Russian at that point. But I think. And, I, and maybe you've seen this stuff on, on social media. There's been this interesting discussion where some people were like, okay, you substitute Russian for English, which is another colonial language. Exactly. And I think it's kind of, I don't know, like in my mind, it's like pretty obvious that in this context, in any case, English isn't that. It doesn't have that same kind of cultural baggage that Russian does. Yes, it doesn't have the same cultural baggage. It also doesn't have the same colonial relationship with Armenia um, because Russian was enforced. Like, uh, I come from a Russian-speaking family. I grew up speaking Russian. Um, so up until I was about, I want to say 19, or no, sorry, up until I was about 21, my Russian was better than my Armenian. Um, mm-hmm. And now that's changed because I put a lot of effort into my Armenian. Um, but even still, that's um, that's not true for uh, both my parents. That's not true for a lot of my relatives. They speak better Russian than Armenian. And it's not because um, they, did, they, they grew up and they uh, studied and they got degrees in Armenia. But it was in the Soviet Union and Russian was so standardized. Um, and so enforced that it really um, it didn't matter. Your Russian became better. And even after the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, when I was born, my mother made a con. I was I was born in Russia. My mother made a conscious effort to teach me, you know, baby freaking child Anna um, Armenian before she taught me Russian, even though her Armenian was not as good because she was, mm, you know, she had kind really of a sense of cultural um, protection. But she got a lot of shit for it from Russians. She got shit for it from the hospital where I was born. Wow. Yeah, there were like there they I was um they sent a nurse to the house to check on me because I was born early. This is so stupid, but I was born early, so they sent a nurse to check on me. Um and she got into it with my mother. She like was basically accusing her of abusing me because um I was speaking Armenian at home. Um or because yeah. they were I wasn't speaking, I was I was baby, but they were speaking to me in Armenian at home. Right. Um and so that like the enforcement of Russian was just so strong. So obviously there's a very colonial relationship to it. That being said, I don't want to sort of replace one colonizer in our brain with another colonizer in our brain because English does have that quality worldwide. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, I don't think it's without controversy to. Um, no, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. But I guess 
in this context, it's you know, not even remotely, I guess, comparable. Not even close. One thing I noticed is this level of ignorance among Russians about the historic, economic, social, political context of, uh, in the countries that they're arriving to. It's like honestly astounding. And one of the main sources for me to see what they're actually saying has been Telegram. So they've opened a lot of these Telegram channels that have um, been created to kind of help new arrivals with establishing themselves. They have advice about opening bank accounts, renting apartments, etc. And a couple of my friends and I, Mara Nuna, shout out to you guys. Um, We've been sharing messages from these channels because they're just breathtaking in their arrogance. So a lot of them just kind of focus on Armenia's limitations. Like, they're just whining. They're just fucking complaining. So one guy was, like, listing his complaints about, um, like, what Armenia lacks. So No kidding, dude. It's it's fucking amazing. He's like, there's a lack of craft beer. Okay, also fuck off. There's great beer in Armenia. There's great craft beer. Okay, maybe it's not on every fucking corner like it is in Moscow, but, like, you know, please take into account the historical, economic, you know, social uh, background of this place. Also, like, look for two minutes, dude. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Lack of major foreign brands like Ikea. And, okay, there is no Ikea and it kind of, it's annoying, but, right, funny also. But he he also mentioned H&M. Like, there's no H&M in Armenia. He's saying when there's one in the fucking Yerevan Mall. Like, just... Wait, there's an H&M in the Yerevan Mall? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's weird. I didn't even know that, but okay. Um, paying for public transportation with a card. He's complaining about that. He's complaining about the lack of, quote, modern children's playgrounds. He's complaining about the lack of multi-level parking in the city center, Anna. Are you serious? I am very serious. Wait, uh, does he have a car to park already? Is that like apparently? Apparently. Wow. Okay. I mean, the privilege um, difference is pretty quick. But in city center, I mean, you're you're nor- you're usually going to take a public transportation or walk or yeah, walk. You don't, you don't go to the city center to park. Yeah. Like maybe you do that from like uh, the ring road in Moscow because Moscow is so fucking big. You have to take a car. Yeah, I mean, Moscow is is enormous. I mean, obviously, it's it's just a completely different city than Yerevan. It is interesting though because I will say that like. I mean, I don't live in I don't live in Armenia, and I really I'm I try very hard not to speak for people who like lived there their entire lives. Um, but on the list of like issues, um, I know right? paying for cat like paying for transportation and cash. You have coins everywhere. It's really not high up on the list at all. Parking, I feel like people might complain about, especially for like larger shopping areas and things like that. Um, but then there's the flip side, which is that there's so much freaking construction in Yerevan and. Um, I don't know if I would prioritize parking construction over, say, housing construction. I mean, it's the thing that affects. I, it's just if if those are your problems, you're you're doing crazy oh, okay. in your life. You know no. what I mean? Um, but like the fact that you so, have the audacity to like like immediately just like show up and start complaining. Oh my god! Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dig into some more of that in in a second. Um, I just wanted to mention something that happened in Georgia because this is also fucking amazing to me. It's just again, just mind boggling arrogance. Mm-hmm. So in Georgia, um, Russian immigrants organized a party at a club in Tbilisi. The organizers wrote on Instagram that they quote, and I'm just briefly kind of roughly translating. They said, quote, we care about comfort and safety, which is why reservations for tickets are only allowed with a passport from Belarus, Ukraine, or Russia. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So basically, it's like a party advertises being only for Slavs. They said, get your... I don't even want to say it, but insert racial slur asses out of here. So someone asked in the comments if Georgian citizens are not allowed. And the response said basically, um, basically no. And then quote, again, I'm translating. There's a lot of aggression from Georgians. Yeah, that really boggled the mind. I will say 
Georgian reactions to Russians coming to Georgia has been very different than Armenian reactions of Russians coming to Armenia, um, in part because I think that, you know, Georgia is partly occupied by Russia. So they've got a lot of very, very well-placed anger um, and not misdirected anger. And the other part of it, I think, is also just that Armenians are in such a precarious like security situation that at this point, I think they're going to be hospital hospitable to any freaking body who uh, shows up. Um, there's a lot at play there. No, so you're absolutely right. Like Armenia and Russia have better relations than um, Russia has with Georgia. Um, and again, not least because it also suffered a Russian invasion in 2008. But Russians in Georgia have reported um, being subject to abuse in public, um, kicked out of taxis after revealing their nationality, and denied the opportunity to rent apartments. Yeah, that's definitely um, happened. Um, mm-hmm. We had family friends who were driving to Armenia through Georgia and were, weren't able to... Um, uh, get a hotel until somebody else who was Georgian called and rented the room for them. Um, yeah, which right. I have to be honest. Um, I, I know people who are like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. They like, they, they should, you know, they, this is how they should react. Um, and I absolutely understand that reaction because yeah. Russia is a colonial power in this, in this region. And I think Russians are so freaking ignorant of that. Like there mm-hmm. is no reckoning yeah. I, to a degree where I, it's incredible to me. Like, I don't, I can't think of, any other like Americans, British, like I really it's it's unbelievable the degree to which there's ignorance of this, although I guess, you know, we're pretty fucking ignorant of it, too. Um, that being said, I instinctively also don't love it. Like it it does. Um, I'm, I don't think I would go so far as to say like that is the correct reaction. But I do sometimes wish Armenians were a little bit more aware of their colonial relationship with Russia, as we discussed last week. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think we give it enough credit or thought or um i don't think we do engage in like decolonizing consciousness enough um and the sort of like uh, reaction to russians entering armenia has is a li- has there's a little there's some evidence of that cuz i don't think we should treat them poorly by any stretch but um some dialogue about what that means would be nice yeah absolutely and i think this also goes into the realm of discussions around identity so you know armenian identity is very primordial. It's very ethnic based. There's, there is a civic Armenian identity, but I feel like it's very limited to certain pockets of, you know, grassroots activists in Armenia. Um, Because like I I recently read an article in EVN report, this uh, sociologist who is a um, senior lecturer at University of Stirling in Scotland wrote, and she mentioned doing interviews with Armenians and asking them, for example, you know, there's so many Indians in Armenia, right? Um, immigrants, many of whom speak Armenian fluently. They've been here for a long time and kind of asked respondents if these Indians could eventually become, quote, Armenian. And the reactions were mostly like no yeah. or confusion, at, you know, even the question. And yet at the same time, there was this... Um, not affinity, and this is largely limited to, you know, older people, but this kind of treatment of Russians is like not quite foreign, mm-hmm. kind of one of us. So in cases like that, there is more acceptance for people who are not necessarily ethnic Russian, but against Syrian Armenians or, you know, Iranian Armenians, maybe there might be a little bit of um, discrimination. Yeah, for so sure. So these things kind of cut across lines are very complex and um, contradictory in many cases. But I think if we had a stronger sense of a civic Armenian identity, I think some of these questions would be totally different. Yeah, the question of Indians who live in Armenia is um, definitely something we should t- discuss further in, a, in like a, mm-hmm. a standalone episode because it is a real issue um, and one that has a lot of layers, both for how, you know, 
how these people um, like arrived in Armenia and the problems the problems they faced in that process, um, their pathways to citizenship, all of those things like really deserve a lot of discussion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that sense of civic Armenianness, um, you're right that it's sort of like very it's like in its very very like fetus stages. Um, but because Russians sort of freely lived in Armenia during the Soviet Union, um, and because you know Russian hegemony really did ring out powerfully during the Soviet Union, there's a very different relationship to to, to Russians. Um, and I, I mean, I, I don't want to be a broken record, but part of that does come from a lack of reckoning about what it is to be colonized and what it is to have colonized consciousness. Because I can't help but feel that they might have a different attitude had that had that been something they explored, especially when, as you said, you compare it to how Syrian Armenian refugees were treated, um, you know, in the in the wake of the Syrian civil war, which um, I don't think was like it wasn't horribly, but it wasn't great either. Like there were there were issues. Um, and yeah, of course, I want to talk about a little anecdote, like kind of along those lines of yeah, in, let's um, do it. colonial whatever. And I know you have a story of your own. I, this is just like a anecdote of something that happened to me that I think is maybe illustrative of, I don't know what, I don't know how representative it is in any case, but it was interesting. So I'm at a pub in Yerevan with a British journalist friend of mine who's sort of most mostly based in Armenia. Mm-hmm. So he and I step outside to have a cigarette and there's this Russian couple already standing out there smoking. And they strike up a conversation with us asking us where we're from, blah, 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 you know. And I'm kind of to the side because like, I don't know, Anna, if you've noticed that I can be kind of antisocial sometimes if I don't want to talk to people. There was a street dog very, very, you know, conveniently lying in front of me. So I kind of, you know, knelt down and was petting the dog. Obviously, you will pet the fucking dog. Yeah, like you it's can't not. Street dog. You, will, you must so pet sweet. the dog. They're so freaking sweet. Uh, no, please, if anybody goes and pets a dog and gets bitten, we're not, you know, be careful around street dogs. But um, so I'm petting the dog and they're kind of talking, whatever. And, um, you know, they ask me where I'm from. I'm like, yeah, I'm Armenian. I live in Armenia, whatever. Um, then they asked my friend if he likes living in Yerevan and he's like, yeah, I love Yerevan. Um, and the woman <laughs> looking kind of like she smelled something bad huh? is like, Yerevan, why? Girl, you're here. Listen, listen. So my friend's like super diplomatic. He's like, oh, you know, I like this and that about the city. And he's like listing the things that he likes about living here. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Like Moscow is way better. Fuck off. And at this point, I'm like, bitch, what? <laughs> I'm literally petting the dog and I just turned my head and I was like, Moscow fucking sucks. <laughs> I really love the image of like the first interaction you having with this couple just being that statement. <laughs> just Moscow fucking sucks, right? Just straight up. And she's so offended. Her boyfriend was like, no, 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 no. She didn't mean it like that, which, you know, I did. <laughs> yeah. And also she did too. She meant it like that. She meant it. She fucking meant it. Th- that's that's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. The, the sense of entitlement, right? So she starts challenging me, asking me, you know, what what I don't like about Moscow. Like, I mean, and she's like, she's asking me, like, I'm not going to have an answer. Like, she's asking me, like, it's a gotcha. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I start going through my very long list of why Moscow sucks from like the aggression from people to the racism, to the weather, to, you know, just being Russia. And she's like, it's, yeah, that's, yeah. And she's like, well, clearly you haven't spent enough time there. You know, she's got an answer to everything. And I'm like, LOL, no. Like, I've lived there for more than a year. I clearly know what I'm talking about. You know, and I think, whatever, the conversation ended. We moved on. This whole stupid interaction was just, I felt so emblematic of this attitude that we're talking about. Um, yes. The, the bad, the worst, it's like the worst of it. And it's because, and I was trying to explain to somebody, you know, I, I wasn't saying you have to love Yerevan. That's not what I was saying. I'm saying don't fucking trash a place that's given you sanctuary, A, 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Be grateful your everyone exists. Um, B, everything that sucks here, for the most part, I'm not saying Armenians are not like responsible for making this place better. They fucking are. But it's a place that suffered because of your fucking colonial legacy that continues to impact us today. And the fact that they don't see that connection is mind boggling. Yes. I mean, that's really the core of it because um, I try and I, I try and be careful around the language of like, you know, be grateful for a place that gave you sanctuary because I don't want it flipped and weaponized the other way around. Right. Because I mm-hmm. personally like, you know, open borders all the way. Really, there, there, there should be no such like you should be able to freely live there no matter what. But there is a very big difference between like immigrants coming from the periphery from the colonized country to the mainland because their home has been destroyed economically, socially, whatever it may be, and colonized power suffering consequences of colonization, sorry, colonizer powers suffering the consequences of their colonization and their imperialism and them coming to that periphery and then complaining about the things that they helped create. The economic situation in Yerevan is due to a deliberate distribution of resources during the Soviet Union and currently, you know, and from currently. Russia. Mm-hmm. The gas situation yet, Yerevan, Russian mm-hmm. gas companies. I mean, even as like, even as basic as um, the quality of roads, the quality of construction, the safety measures taken in building codes, these uh, are materials often come from Russia. Um, many of like the companies that build these things also come from Russia. So all of this has to do with Russian, you know, imperialism and hegemony. And, um, don't come here and fucking complain about it. Like you, like you should be amazed that Armenians have done as much as they have with the legacy that Russia has left them. And also, I find I find it interesting, kind of from a more maybe intellectual level. You know, notions of colonialism that I'm at least familiar with are you know European. Yes. Um, colonialism and decolonization, like the same stuff. They don't they don't fully fit the Armenian no. context. And and I think a lot of it is because. The theories, the knowledge that we have is usually based around one colonizing power, right? Mm-hmm. But in, in the Armenian context, it's situated between several. I think that you're absolutely right. And we talked about this also last week, um, that it's good that the language of colonization, or it's useful to the former Soviet Union and Eurasia that the language of, and I say former Soviet Union specifically, it's good for former Soviet states that the language of colonization is being used now to discuss their plight oh, and their yeah. issues. But there is a tension because, you know, one, you don't really want to appropriate um, like struggles that aren't yours. And two, you also want to distinguish your struggle in its like in its own unique way, right? Because the sort of colonization-esque relationship that we've been describing as colonization throughout this episode and that we will probably continue describing as colonization is still quite distinct from a lot from what, you know, um, colonial states suffered um, at the hands of, you know, Br- uh, the United Kingdom or Belgium or France um, or indeed the United States. Um, it's they're, they're different relationships and the nuances between them are worth exploring. And so while the language is useful, I don't think it can be terminal for us. Like, I really do think that new language has to be developed or at least distinguishing language has to be developed. But yeah, I had a, I also had a, a, a funny story. Um, Please share. Oh my God. It's, it's crazy because everyone has them. Well, what you were, I have two actually. One is very short. One is, uh, my mother is in a Facebook group. All of these start with my mother. Uh, my mother is in a <laughs> Facebook group and I don't know what the group is. But a woman arrived from Russia to Baku and said, I've arrived in Baku and I'm trying to get to Yerevan, but there are no flights. 
how do I do this? How do I get to Yerevan? I mean, the commentary was unbelievable. People were just... Can you imagine? Like, you're arriving in Armenia. I can, because to her, they're kind of, it's kind of the same shit. Yeah, I arrived in Baku, and I don't know how to get to Yerevan. I mean, it was incredible. It was just like, did you, were you asleep for two years? And I, you know, <laughs> I guess you didn't have to be asleep for two years, because there was little media coverage of it, but there were some in Russia, and you're, you're coming to Armenia, my friend. <laughs> and I don't, actually, I don't know what the end result was. I don't know if she arrived in Baku, or she stayed. I really don't know, um, but it was incredible. I wonder where she is now. I know. I really would like to know. Follow-up story. So your second story? Oh, God. Uh, the second story is that we knew some people who were not ethnic Armenians. They were ethnic Russians. And they arrived in Yerevan. And they were uh, tech industry workers, which is pretty common, right? People whose companies told them, listen, if you get out of Russia, we'll be able to pay you. Just go somewhere else right now. Um, because they were working for companies outside of Russia. They wanted to keep their jobs. So they showed up in Yerevan. And they were staying at a friend's apartment. Um, and they're, and they actually, these two guys didn't know each other, but the apartment had two bedrooms, people like, you know, people were feeling hospitable. So they were just like, yeah, of course you can stay. Um, you need a place to work, do that. Two young guys in Yerevan. Um, they go out one night. I'm assuming they, oh no, they went out for a smoke one night and they somehow locked themselves out of the apartment. Um, and they were not fully dressed. I think, I think like they were like in like home shorts or something, um, the, and this was in the middle of the night, the neighbor helped them, like he couldn't let them into their house because he was like, my wife can't see this, <laughs> but he, oh, he gave him his car keys and he spent the whole night putting gas in the car so they could stay warm and like have a place to sleep. The next morning they went, got a spare key from whoever had it. Um, and it was our family friend and, you know, she helped them, uh, she helped them uh, open the door. Get back in. Yeah. And she, and, but it was like such a community effort to get them back in that apartment because it was such a ridiculous way to lock yourself out. Um, and it, it took like, I think it was like 10 total people were like involved in the process of like making sure they were okay, like, and getting them back into the apartment because they, there was some complication with the, with the lock on the door too. So they really locked themselves out. And the guy at the end of this was so like touched on both that he was so touched about like everybody helping him. He was like, you know, this would this would never happen in Moscow. I I like I can't imagine some like what, what I would have no done. Shit. And then he says, he says to my friend, he goes, I've been really inspired to, you know, take a look at myself and do better too. Uh, like today, there was a woman who needed a charger, you know, in in she was looking for a charger in the bodega I was at. And I made sure that I gave her mine. And I'm, I've really been inspired to make a change. That's so fucking funny. But that's so sweet. That's such a cool. Um, that one's actually a pretty wholesome story. <laughs> window into, you know, how, you know, the way things are done here has kind of changed a newcomer's kind of attitude towards, you know, how he even. You know, starting small, starting small. <laughs> Starting small, you know, we, we have, we have, uh, we're managing our expectations here. I will say the arrival of the Russians has at the least created this conversation about colonization um, in a big way because I see people kind of ha- forced to engage in it on whatever side they're on that weren't forced to engage in it before. Like I saw, like Russians were organizing a cleanup of some, you know, natural, uh, of, of some like park or mountain or something. Um, and somebody posted saying, look at like how good this is. Our Armenians don't even do this stuff. And a lot of people responded saying, 
colonizer coming to clean up the colonized nation vibes like this is this is not it and absolutely and people were forced to engage in that you couldn't just see like oh look at the civilized people coming and doing stuff that we can't do ourselves people were forced Mm -hmm. to engage in the conversation of what like what does that actually mean that you know a couple of people came and organized this like you know cleanup of an environmental project and you know it helps when some of the commentary from the russians about armenia is just so just so blatantly offensive that you know armenians you know, instinctively know how to kind of respond to it. So, for example, in one of those Telegram channels, um, there was a message from somebody, who, who, a Russian who just arrived, and this is literally what he's saying. He's he's basically annoyed that everyone's speaking Armenian. What? Is <laughs> the long story short, right? <laughs> They're in Armenia, right? He's like, quote, isn't it possible to put a restriction so that the main language is Russian? And he kind of starts explaining himself. He's like, Armenia will only benefit from the arrival of specialists. So the idea being, he's saying we need to speak Russian here so that more specialists can come, so they can grace us with their, you know, fucking skills and knowledge. As if Armenia is not one of the biggest, it's one of the fucking biggest IT like hubs in the world. And he says, for example, and he continues, he's like, for example, I came here and I read caustic comments with insults in Armenian. What impression can I get? It is clear that the black sheep does not spoil the whole herd, but still. Do you want to read the insults in Russian? Like, they're going (laughs) to say the same stuff, dude. And they can curse you out pretty well in Russian, too, I guarantee. So all of this is kind of starting these interesting conversations around, you know, colonization, the history of it, and like the process of decolonization that, you know, I think perhaps we're starting to at least think about. So if listeners are interested to hear more discussion about decolonization in the post-Soviet context, uh, please please go ahead and listen to our last episode on Emil Mali Rahmon, uh, Tajikistan's president. Um, and hopefully, I think, you know, if, if this conversation continues and develops and evolves, I really hope that we'll have more to, to think about and say. Um, we can come back and discuss it. I'm I'm glad that we have at least a few episodes to chat about just our personal observations, um, because this really this took much less research than it did just like looking around for a second. Um, no, absolutely. And obviously, it's our context. So we're, you know, just automatically familiar with it. So yeah. when we do stuff on other um, regions and stuff, we kind of have to do a little bit of background reading. But um, yeah, I'd be curious if these kinds of um, more personal stories are interesting to people. Um, it, they, they are a little bit limited to, you know, what we know, but we'd be happy to talk about more of them if yeah. people are interested. But yeah, that's a that's Russians in the that's Russians in Armenia, man. Uh, fun times. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Um, which which episode number was it? Anna was four. Um, we started with episode oh, zero, so I think it was episode number three. But no, okay, that's very confusing. It's because we recorded you. the first. It's it's because we had that whole chaos with recording the war in Armenia episode.